when you have five people coming at you, you're just, you're, you're helpless. You are helpless. There is nothing you can do. No one is gonna save you. You don't know if you're gonna survive through it. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know how, you're just, it's just adrenaline. That's all it is. And it's 100% fear. This is Michael Ring. I'm a cattle and crop farmer from Northern Illinois, and you're listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, I bring back my friend Lance Corbett. Lance uh, did the podcast a few months ago where I learned about what it was like to be a homeless man for five years living in a tent down by the Mississippi River. Well, Lance has since done some work at my house. We've become much closer friends, shared a couple meals together, and I decided to invite him back on because he told me about this secret world that is all around me but I'd never seen before, which is the world of the graffiti artists. So Lance comes on and talks about what are the people like that go out and tag things at night? Why do they do it? What drives them? And kind of the art behind it. And then a little later in the interview, we switch over to his experiences being a prisoner. He was actually arrested and taken to jail. He went and lived in this place called the Workhouse, where in St. Louis, this is considered a very, very tough place uh, to be housed as an inmate. So Lance talks all about that and what it was like to be fighting for his life at times. So we're going to get to that. But one thing is if you are enjoying conversations like this, where we are running the span between a German chemist yesterday to a graffiti artist today and tomorrow a Chinese expert, then you're the type of person that likes a different way of thinking, a different model, a different uh, set of ideas being pushed towards you. And that's why you might want to consider joining the Articulate Ventures Network. This is a place that I've created for people to join and support the podcast, but also to get access to episodes early, to being a part of discussions and conversations. And we've also done all sorts of activities that help people become tangibly better communicators. We have the book club, we have virtual reality experiences. So if you're interested, go check out articulate.ventures. I'll leave a link below. But know that that's a great way to support the podcast and meet other people that are interested in conversations that span from Zhang Wang to Lance Corbett, which is my dream is to keep bringing as many of these great conversations as we can. So I am so glad you're here. And now on to the interview with Lance Corbett. Lance Corbett, welcome back to the podcast. What's up? Hey, how's it going? It's going well, man. Last time I saw you, yeah. we were uh, slugging um, uh, sod all around my front yeah. yard and laying it down. Yeah. yeah, that was a good time, actually. It was really good to get uh, um, just to just to get to know you a little bit better, you know, and get to working and watch you watch your work ethic. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing like doing a job with somebody, right? Because you yeah. find out mm-hmm. how does this person start a job? How do they yeah. interact? What happens when something frustrating happens? How do they wrap mm-hmm. up? You really mm-hmm. learn a lot about, I mean, I think that's why some of the closest friends you have are almost always the people you work with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool uh, um, because I usually work by myself, you know what I'm saying? Or, or like, I'll just find somebody that I'll hire for one day or whatever, but it was really interesting to, to, um, to be, working on your stuff and then you helping me like that's just a different dynamic that i'm not used to you know what i'm saying and then and then you're you know you're a friend of mine so it's 
it was just it was a really cool experience actually <laughs> yeah it was a good afternoon yeah. i I, uh, I mean yeah. like i i now go look at that grass and realize like hey man this is all put in like it's like if it, i think that that's one of the things about doing yard work or yeah. something like that with your friend uh-huh. building something is it's like yeah yeah then it's a part your friend is there forever if you plant a tree right. together if you build something right. together your friend is always there with you yeah 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 how has the rest of the summer been for you been busy um, it was kind of busy. Um, I was digging, I was building a fence the other day and I messed up my wrist. So I'm like out of commission. I'm, I've, I've got, yeah, it's, it's a rough deal. I can't even hold a soda can with my right hand like here. I just, I think what happened was, is I overworked it. Um, I was working too hard. I didn't take enough breaks and I just overworked it and my hand started hurting and I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to power through it for the rest of the day you know, um, but it just got worse and worse. And now I'm out of commission for a couple of weeks, you know? <laughs> so, but it was, it, you know, I've, I still am calling people around and making sure that jobs are scheduled. I'm making sure that people understand, Hey, look, uh, uh I'm not doing so hot right now, but as soon as, as soon as this heals up, we're going to get back out there and I'm going to make sure that, um, um, the things that I had told you we were going to get done are going to get done. You know what I'm saying? So, that's like one of the weird things that happens is you grow into adulthood. Like when you're a kid and you get injured, you're like, ah, my finger hurts or my knee hurts or whatever. But when you're an adult, if your injury actually prevents you from making money, now the pain is only intensified, right? Because you're trying to ignore it, but you've got to face it. Your body is telling you, Hey, you've gone too far. But like, there's always that added pressure of like, how will I make money if I can't work? Right. Right. And I'm lucky that I have, um, I don't just do landscaping, you know, um, I'm studying to be a personal trainer for, um, for, uh, exercise. So I want to be like a personal trainer to help people lose weight and things like that. So I work at a gym as well, just a conventional, uh, blue fire fitness over there in, in Fairview Heights. It's a lot like a planet fitness, but so I work there at the front desk. So that's like a very minimal physical job. You know, I can say hi to customers and da, 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 and I still make a little bit of money to like make sure that I'm OK. And then I have savings as well. So, you know what I mean? I'm lucky to have that. You know what I mean? I'm not just all in one thing. And if I can't do that, then I'm screwed. You know what I mean? So <laughs> when you and I were working together, we had a chance yeah. to like have uh, an even purer conversation than in the in the podcast, because mm-hmm. you get to kind of explore yeah. and you don't really know what's going to come up. But one of the things that came up while we were talking, and I don't know if you're cool with talking about it on the mm-hmm. podcast, was that you actually understand the world of graffiti. And yeah. to me, mm-hmm. as like a, a kid that grew up in a small town and then moved to a big mm-hmm. city, graffiti has always been one of those things that's off in the distance. It's down on the train yards. It's on the warehouses. But it's yeah. far away because it signals, you stay out of here. This isn't for you. How in the world did you get involved in the world of graffiti? Uh, well... Um, it has been a very interesting journey. Um, it is a very intricate and interesting story. So when I was a kid, I was always interested in graffiti, just like you were saying, you know, it's like something off in the distance, you know, uh, I've always appreciated art. I was always interested in like watching graffiti come up and then the city would come over and buff it out. And I'd be like, Oh, that's not there anymore. 
And then like two weeks later, it would be like a different piece in the same spot. And you're like, whoa, look at that one. You know what I mean? Like, whoa, how did they do that? Like, you know, and a lot of people ask me, well, how do you climb up there? And how do you, you know, those are all the questions that I asked myself when I was a kid. And so I studied it and I like researched it and I was always like really in depth. I knew who these people were. I knew where the artists came from, the cities they came from. How did you um, research it? When you say you're going to the library and looking up like how they yeah. tag things or what? Really? Yeah. Basically, I mean, essentially you find there's like magazines that are pressed. You know what I'm saying? A lot like you could say Time Magazine or, or whatever, but it's like there's a magazine called Juxtapose and um, that's a very uh, progressive art magazine that shows like a lot of the progressive art nowadays and every once in a while you'll get like a graffiti article in that magazine you know what i'm saying and then you'll read that article you know or you'll flip through you know some street art that you see at a coffee shop or whatever right and then it's particularly the coffee shops that's like where i started i would go to the coffee shop and then they have like these shelves where you can write there's like these notebooks right and you can go in and you can just write a poem or you can draw something and you put the notebook back up on the on the shelf and that's just part of the shops notebook right so when you go there sometimes you'll have graffiti artists that will pop in and they'll slap something on a, on a notebook and they'll say you know from atlanta or da 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 you know what i'm saying and then they'll put it up in there in that coffee shop and so it's like kind of tucked away that's like a little nook and cranny spot where you can kind of find out a little more about the inside of it you well and I'm are saying? these coffee shops that you're describing like is this in a starbucks that just happens to be in a small town or is this Not, in something different it, it's local it's local shops you got to have an eye for it you know what i mean it, local shops um have a different feel you know they have comfortable seating they have um tables that you can draw on and sketch on you know what i'm saying like some coffee shop it's i don't know and it's changed um throughout the years uh like four or five years ago the whole even the even the local coffee shops have kind of changed over into like a more of a modern you know metal chairs you know come get your coffee sit down drink your coffee and leave kind of deal so the dynamic is a little different, but these, you still have those notebooks that are up on the wall, you know, up on the shelf. And, um, and so that was kind of like my first like wave of it. And then, uh, when I was younger and then when like my life developed, as we talked before, when I was homeless, you know, um, I was walking around the streets. I mean, it was, it was walking around the streets all night, every night. And eventually I would bump into these artists, these, these graffiti artists that were just out, you know, having fun, you know, smoking blunts and drinking beer. And they're like out spraying whatever they wanted. You know what I mean? Like they're just out having fun. And here I am, I'm like, Whoa, like I've been studying this. What do you got? Who are you? And that's how you, you bump into them and you and end up hanging out with them. how old are you when this is happening? Um, well, the coffee shop deal, I was pretty young, but when I was homeless, uh, let's see. I was homeless from uh, 19 years old until I was 24, 25. So, um, so those those years, I was out 
and about and bumping into these graffiti artists and stuff like that. And eventually like, you know, there's two different style, there's two different um, dynamics of graffiti, right? So you have um, the graffiti artists, like the mural artist, you'll see on the big giant murals that they get commissioned to do, you know, companies will come and hire them to go do that. You see that a lot in Colorado. Now there's a lot of, um, um, commissioned graffiti where they pay the graffiti artist to come out and do a wall. And then there's like the dark side of graffiti where it's like you have the gangsters and you have the, the, um, um, the drug druggies that are out, you know, eating mushrooms and eating acid and they're out, you know, painting on walls illegal and they're going to the train yards and stuff like that. And it's, it's, there's like a, a crime element to it, but there's two different sides to it. You see what I'm saying? Like, and they, do they, they mix? Does the does the drug yeah. get commissioned to do work that that then sometimes. lets them? Okay. Yeah, sometimes it's it's a really strange dynamic because there's a thin line where, um, you know, it's all a collective. We all like, as um, a graffiti artist myself, and I only paint occasionally i don't paint a lot so i'm not really technically like a full-on graffiti artist you know what i'm saying but i've been involved with it and i know so i say we as in you know what i mean i'm kind of part of the community but i'm not you know what i mean well i know that there's a dynamic to where it's like everybody has the same goal right and that's the appreciation of the art right and so once you boil down the appreciation of the art all of the outside stuff doesn't matter. So like the commissioned artist will talk to the, 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 I guess, quote unquote criminal or whatever about the graffiti. And it's not about the other stuff. It's about the piece. It's about the, the wild style or the hollow bomb or, you know, the tag or, you know, cause all of those are different styles of graffiti hand styles and, and things like that, you know? And so the thing that I think is striking is like, as I'm thinking about this, it's hard for me to see art where you're at. Like I can, cause my friend is saying, Hey, there's beauty there, but I drive Mm -hmm. down the road and I see what's on the trains or on the warehouses. And Mm -hmm. I think this is uh, people that want to make it. So they say, uh, I'm going to create a mess and you clean it up. And they're being really aggressive Hmm. by writing that in there, but you see something different. So, how is yeah. it that you see this as art? Help me understand this. Well, um, once you get into the life of it and you start realizing um, who these artists are, you know, because there are artists out there that are suit and ties. They will go to a nine to five job. And then when they come home, they have uh, a milk crate full of graffiti, of, of spray paint, and they'll go paint. And then they go back to their nine to five job the next day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and then that's part of, you know, so it's anybody can, anybody can do that. So you start looking at what I, what I like to look at. Um, what I appreciate the most is, is visible spots, right? So you have a visible spot that most people can see, right? Is it done well? How intricate is it? Right. Okay. So, Essentially, especially if it's an illegal piece, right? 
it has to be done well it has to have good color combinations how many colors are involved is there three is there five is there seven because that means that you have to have that many cans of graffiti of, of paint on you you know you have to have that many different cans of paint on you to create that piece right so if it's in a visible spot how intricate is it if it's visible that means that they had to do it quickly you see what I'm saying? So there's there's speed involved because you don't want to get caught doing it, right? And then there's the intricacy involved, which is which takes precision. So there's a time frame on that precision for the piece itself, right? And then you have to get out of there, right? So it, there's just all types of dynamics when it comes to that. And then there's the hand stylers, you know, which is kind of what you were saying, which is aggressive. You know, you have the hand stylers, which is just marker. Right. I'll just take a, a Sharpie marker and I'm going to slap something up, make it look aggressive. This is where we are. This is what's going on, you know, uh, but there's a style to that as well that I appreciate, you know. Um, yeah, there's definitely like a font. There's something that's different yeah. between the eighth grader that's trying to use the <laughs> F word for the first time yeah. versus the guy that like has clearly honed an aesthetic. Yeah. And, and it and it's interesting to me that um I would never write in those bubble letters or in the way that they do it, yeah. but it does seem to be like a like a form of calligraphy, like one that you can recognize yeah. there is uh, care that went into making this. Yeah, there's a lot of time uh, uh, that's put into that, you know. Um, and then there's, there's like a hand style. What I like to do personally, uh, I'm sort of a hand styler instead of the, the painting uh, uh, large pieces on trains and stuff like that. I like to carry a marker with me. And um, uh, so what I like to do is when my marker hits the, the surface, I don't want to lift my marker up until I'm done with my piece. So it's one motion. It's done. And then you move on. Right. And, and is so it there's your signature or are you saying something or are you drawing something? Uh, it's essentially a signature, essentially a signature. Uh, I think, uh, and I could be wrong, but I think every graffiti artist has a sense of identity that they're trying to claim. Uh, and that's why they, that's why you see names. That's why you see specific words. Um, you see, you know, like in, in St. Louis in particular, you see like obsess um, he, he claimed his, that was his word is O B C E S. That was his name. Everybody called him that. And then you have horse and you have kink and you have bang and you have do rag, rat fag, right. You have Cercel, um, and all of these people, they, they, I feel like some of that is just like a sense of identity. Like this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is my alter ego. Um, I'm not doing a nine to five right now. So my name is Ratfag. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm, and like, it, this is yeah. striking me as, as uh, something that was, I knew we should have a conversation about this because it was deeper than what I expected because it's an mm -hmm. interesting thing to think about. I'm going to put art, but I'm going to steal the canvas, right? Like I'm going yeah. to create a canvas that, yeah. that if somebody wants it here, then it doesn't actually belong here. So it's gotta be some element mm -hmm. of chaos and some mm -hmm. element of of uh, people not wanting it there, and something. Yeah. But when I saw somebody pointed out to me this con the the name Ratfag, which is mm -hmm. like kind of a harsh thing to say. 
But in St. Yeah. Louis, you could see it, and it stopped being coarse or aggressive yeah. to me when I could recognize it, and then I could see it. And it's the only one I've ever been able to see. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to be able to spot ones that you're describing now, because I think you can't really yeah. know your city until you have some understanding of its graffiti. Right. No, yeah. And it's part of it. And that's and that's that's what they call all city in the graffiti world. When you go all city, that means that everybody in the city that's really from that city knows who you are. You're all city. And that's like Quake. That's another one. He's a youngster, um, a little bit younger than me, but he went he blew up like four or five years ago. And it was just like nobody really knew who he was. He had painted a couple of things. And then it was just like everywhere. You just saw him everywhere. And um, there's like an unwritten rule to graffiti as well. You know, like you say that it's an unwanted canvas. It's a canvas that's like unwanted. But there's an unwritten rule. I mean, um, we we don't paint schools that are in use. You see what I'm saying? We don't paint federal buildings. We don't paint. Uh, um, non-abandoned buildings you know I mean sure we can paint a billboard but we're not out painting a police station you know what I'm saying like like some some of it is is like okay you know it's it's technically stolen canvas but what else are you doing with it you see what I'm saying like what else are you doing with it there's a dilapidated building there's a broken window um, it's it's got it's got you know, the bricks are falling off of it and everything like it's just ugly. There's, there's, you know, grass and weeds growing over there. Let's clear this out and put something up that looks good. Whether you think it's aggressive or not, it looks better than what it was. And there's some type of thing about that as well. It's like, okay, well, you know, you've got these, these hood areas or these, you know, like, but that's just one part of it. You know what I'm saying? Because you have the train pieces and then the hand style. Like I said, there's so many different dynamics of it. It's just like, it's just such a wide range of, of, of thought processes when it comes to like graffiti. And I think, I think what it is, is, is where your sense of identity that you're claiming comes from, where does it stem from? You know what I'm saying? Like you have, when when people okay so as you're walking out of your house you or some mm-hmm. other graffiti artist what is the the co- compilation of emotions that's going through you are you excited do you know for sure hey i'm going to go out and tag or is it just like i put this stuff on and if it comes up if i'm hit by the muse like how does all this combine together how does I it think, feel to be out there i think it depends it depends on what you're planning on doing you know, um, once you catch the bug, which is what we call it, right? Once you catch the graffiti bug, you, it never goes away. It never goes away. You're always looking at looking at hand styles. You're always like looking at the piece, like, oh, who is that? You know, uh, uh, um, uh, oh, sh- you know, they buffed they buffed my homie's spot. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to go back and get that sometime. You know, uh, um, you're always looking for a cut spot to put some piece up or a cut spot to put. Uh, uh, um, um, uh, something like a hand style, like, oh, they marked that out or this artist dissed this artist by painting over them or like, you're always looking at that. So I think it's, it's, it's really like a perpetuating thing because sometimes you'll, yeah, you'll go out and you'll go on what they call a spraycation, right? And these artists, these, these graffiti artists will come from a different city 
and they'll go to a city and then they'll spend like a whole weekend where they just spray paint everything they possibly can. And then they go back to their hometown, you know? And so like some of that is, yeah, you go out particularly wanting to paint. And then the other times where you're just like out hanging out, you're going to a show a rock show or whatever. And then you see a piece on the wall that you're like, Oh, you know, uh, uh, that got buffed. Let's go paint that tonight. You know what I'm saying? And then you go do that tonight. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it kind of give or take. It just depends. Like I said, when you catch the bug, it doesn't ever really go away. You're always looking and seeing like hand styles and different, different, uh, um, stuff like that. And if you're driving down the road and you see, Hey, that's new graffiti that wasn't there yesterday. Was somebody out there with a group of people that night? Was somebody out there by themselves? Uh, Are they sitting there just getting drunk while they're doing this? Is this like, how does it go down? I think it depends. Some guys like to do it solo. Um, but it's usually a good idea to have somebody with you just to kind of spot, make sure that you don't get caught, you know, and, uh, and not everybody getting caught. Uh, it depends. It depends if it's more than $3,000 worth of damage. Um, then it's a felony. Uh, it's felony defacing property. So, but a lot of times they charge you with more than 3000 because if you're catching it on an overpass, they have to shut down the, the highway to get to that overpass and that costs money. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's all about like the, the overall cost of the cleanup. You know what I'm saying? Most of the time it's a felony. It's felony devasing property. Uh, um, yeah. So that's like what it is. And not all, you know, like I said before, there's suit and tie graffiti artists. Not all of them are out getting drunk. You know what I'm saying? Not all of them are out there, you know, smoking blunts spraying cans like you do see in the movies you know what i mean it's not like that you know it's there there are people out there that are respectable members of society they pay their taxes they work jobs 40 hours 50 hours 60 hour week jobs and they're out just painting graffiti because that's what they like to do and that's their alter ego you know what i mean and that's just how it's manifested in their art form you know there's something that I definitely want to know and understand about the graffiti in St. Louis because I, it is so far away. And as you're describing it, yeah. like I don't want it done on buildings I own or I don't want it happen right. to my friend's building. But I can say it is a part of the tapestry of understanding who's there and what do they expect. Mm-hmm. When you think about where there are places where there's lots of graffiti and there's not, like I feel like if I go to a place with a lot of graffiti, that tells me, Vance, you don't belong here. Get, get out of here. Is that the message I should take away from that? Um, not necessarily. That's not how I see it. I see it as um, culture. I see it as culture. It's, um, it's a place for artists to let loose. You know, um, I mean, if you think about it, like, you know, art in general is expensive and, and it's hard to sell. If you ever look at an artist that's struggling to make it, you know, to make ends meet, um, they're always like support the local artist and please buy my piece for this much. And there a lot of, a lot of people undervalue, uh, um, someone's hard work in their work because, uh, if you're in a position to buy a piece of art, then you have enough money. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, if you're in a position to buy art, then why are you not, why are you worried about how much it costs? 
kind of thing. And then, and then all of this effort and all of this work goes into being an artist uh, uh, and they get undervalued. So I think when you go to an area uh, where there's graffiti, um, there's just culture. Some of those people are thinking, well, this is my canvas. If I can't sell it, everyone's going to appreciate it anyway. So F you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and it's not, uh, necessarily, um, you know, but then there's also the gang graffiti, you know, you have to be mindful of that. You know, there's, there's certain calligraphy, like you said, there's certain calligraphy that you need to pay attention to that, that there are gangs that are marking their territory, you know, uh, uh, so you need to be kind of mindful of that. But I think once you catch the bug and once you get an eye for it and you start seeing that, like, there's a different grade of art that comes out of the actual artist as opposed to the gang gang people that, you know, like to drink and smoke blunts They They don't have the same uh, uh, quality of art as the actual artist. You know what I mean? That's that is there. amazing that there is a distinction yeah. there that, yeah. that one is a higher form of artwork and the other yeah. one means something different. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and that's, you know, it's just, I think the more you involve yourself with it, the more you start seeing it, uh, um, the easier it will be. There's a, there's a really cool event that you might want to hear about. You might want to check out Vance. It's called paint Lewis and it's every October. And, uh, down in St. Louis, they have a giant like miles and miles of, 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 of flood wall. Right. And about 10, about 20 years ago, actually 30 years ago, now that I think about it. Um, yeah, about well, 25 years ago, there was an art, there was a graffiti artist that fell off a train trussle and he died. Right. And so the LDs, which is the lowdown crew, which is pretty much the, the, the graffiti crew that's in St. Louis, they've, they essentially run the graffiti scene in St. Louis. Um, they motioned for the city to have a um, like a fundraiser for this graffiti artist and the city allowed them to do it. So they have this big giant flood wall and they brought all of these graffiti crews from all across the country to go paint on this wall and they called it Paint Lewis, right? And so now it's developed into like over the years, it's, you know, there's a couple things that there's a couple kinks and nooks and crannies that they had to work out, but now it still goes on. And what they have is, is every, you know, once a year on the weekends, they have crews from all across the country that meet up in St. Louis and they paint the graffiti wall is what they call it. And it's right down off of Broadway. If you cut you cut left uh, before you get to the Taco Bell and the BP, then you'll be able to see the big giant wall. And it's just miles and miles and miles of graffiti from all over the country. You know, it's really cool. I would love to see that, man. If I can pull that yeah. off, cause babies come in, but if I can pull it off, that would yeah. be a thing to see. Yeah. It's like October. And then, and then not only that, you'll get to watch them do it. You get, to, they're out there painting it and it's an event. It's like a sanctioned event from the city. That's just like, you guys can paint here, go ahead. You know what I mean? And it's, it's pretty cool. So you mentioned there was a crew of people that kind of run the paint, the lowdowns you said, like, is that, yeah. is that in every city? Is there a group of people that are just kind of, um, and what does it mean to be the dominant group? General, generally, 
I mean, when I say run, it sounds like gangster stuff, but it's not really. It's just kind of like that's just the prominent crew that's in the area. And I say crew instead of gang because it's actually a crew. It's not a gang. They're not running drugs and blah, blah, blah. It's just a crew of people that hang out and paint graffiti. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, and they just happen to they just happen to have the biggest crew. They happen to have the most pieces out. And um, a lot of cities have multiple crews. I mean, there's a couple here in the city as well. There's CTO, there's OFB, um, there's Check This Out, Only Fresh Bombs, uh, Lowdown, uh, all those different crews. There's um, TTK, that's another one that you see. But a lot of them, like, um, since it's such a small community, a lot of them paint you know, they all know each other, you know what I'm saying? And, and then there's some cities that are, that are, that kind of the, the crews will beef and then other cities they don't, you know, it's just kind of like, it's just the world of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't paint over my piece. Uh, uh, and we don't have any problems kind of thing, but that doesn't really happen here in the city, uh, here in St. Louis. It's more just one crew and then the other smaller crews, paint with the one crew like it's not really but there's not really any like dominance there's no like you know slinging guns around and stuff like that like it's not the wild west <laughs> so it's just kind of like the crews that paint more than others you know what i mean so changing the subject this has been fascinating but you and i yeah. also had a really good conversation when you were over at my house about the time you spent at the workhouse which yeah. It was a really interesting thing because for, well, for people that don't know, uh, that aren't in St. Louis, what is workhouse? What, what, why is it um, termed that? How, how, why do people go there? The workhouse is a inner city jail, right? And so you have four classes of felonies, right? You have A's and B's, which are the higher classes. And then you have C, D, and actually there's another one, E. So you have C, D, E. And those are the lower class of felonies and the lower class of felonies go to the workhouse. The workhouse is just basically an inner city jail, um, medium security. Uh, um, it was built in the seventies. It's like really old. It's an old school. Like you see the movies where they're like, clank, 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 clank. like that's the way it is. You know what I'm saying? There's like bunks. There's like, there's, there's bunks and, um, um, there's a lot of, a lot of violence, uh, uh, in there. I mean, it's, it's pretty intense. It's one of the most violent jails in the country, uh, for the past like 10 years. It's just been, it's just unreal. Uh, the crime and the violence that I saw while I was there, um, definitely traumatized me, uh, um, to, to say the least it was, it when was When you say incredible. there's violence in there, uh, you know, yeah. the perception of a person that's outside of the prison, like mine, is you yeah. have people in jail and you have prison guards. The people in jail are in cells. And then when you want to move them, you move them one at a time. Yeah. So when is there violence? How does that work? Um, the workhouse isn't isn't structured like that. It's it's actually has big, huge bays where you have like 70 bunks in one in one Whoa. bay right yeah and it's 24 hours so you have like a day room with a tv and things like that and then but your bathrooms and your showers and your and and stuff like that is all in one big bay and and there's multiple bays and the only time you actually sit in a cell is when you go when you get in trouble and you go to the hole right and you sit you sit 
in the hole. I mean, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're isolated. That's what they do. And so, like, that's not how the workhouse is. It's just one big bay, you know. And so um, there was a lot of um, uh, inmate to inmate crime. You know, people steal stuff. You know, there's people that come in jail and they don't have anything. They're hungry. They're from the streets. You know, they see their bunkmate has a ramen noodle soup and they're going to steal it from them because they're hungry. And then when that, that turns into a fight, turns into a, somebody getting jumped, turns into, a, I mean, somebody getting beaten to death, <laughs> you know what I mean? Over, over ramen a, noodles. Over ramen noodle soup. Yeah. It's, it was, it was incredible. Like I watched people, um, get s seriously terminally hurt because of a ramen noodle soup. It's just unreal. You know, the crime there and, uh, uh, the, the living, the living, uh, was just unbearable. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't humane, you know, at all whatsoever. So tell me about the, your experience there. I mean, like, and as much as you're willing to talk about, were you threatened? Were you put in a position where people um, were trying to harm you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, uh, I was there for a while and I got in like 20 fights, I think total. Uh, um, and it was, it was, a, it was all out war. It was, I'm going to fight or I'm going to get my ass beat, you know, like I'm going to fight or, um, I'm not going to have anything, you know, like I'm just not going to have anything. And so I stood up for myself, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, generally not necessarily aggressive, but I like to stand up for myself. You know what I'm saying? And I like to make sure that people know that you can't just push me around. I was always kind of been like that, you know, because of my wrestling background and stuff like that. And I looked like I could fight, which is the reason why some people wanted to fight me because they, you know, there's young kids that are trying to join a gang. They want to get their stripes and they're going to go fight the person that looks like they can fight, you know, if they can win, <laughs> you know, I mean, that was just the way it was, you know, it's pretty crazy. But, uh, one thing that's really interesting, uh, that's really cool. Um, so the whole time I was talking to my mom while I was in there and she was fighting, I mean, there's like rats in there. There's like black mold and there's like, just the living, the living is just not right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not for, it's not up to standard, uh, by any means. It, it was like a third world uh, country. I mean, it really was. I mean, when you look at, when you look at pictures of what, like sometimes I will look at pictures of third world country jails and it was like exactly like the workhouse. Exactly. No, no, no difference whatsoever. There's no cooling. It's, uh, there's no, um, there's no heat. There's no cooling. There's no, there's no AC. It's just, big open bays with one fan for 70 guys, you know, um, it's, it's pretty crazy. You know, you couldn't put 70 men together in those conditions when they're all professional class working, getting along, like yeah. they'll go nuts if you do that yeah. so to put yeah. it with a bunch of people that have behavior yeah. and aggression and psychological yeah. issues and all those things. Yeah. Lack of education. That wasn't, that's an, that was another like large eye opener for me was um to see um to see how uneducated some people really are it was it was just 
uh, it was such What does a that mean? I mean, for people like me that have been educated and spent time yeah. around other educated people their whole lives, what does it mean to yeah. be around somebody that I mean, has an education? I mean, there's people that didn't know how to tie their shoes. There's people that didn't know how to read. There's people that, there's people in, there, there were people, inmates that were in there that didn't know how to express what they were trying to say because they didn't know how to talk. I mean, it was like that. It was like they literally were not articulate enough to speak to me and tell me what they were going through. I mean, it was like, like how could you possibly make it this far and not be able to speak? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't understand well, that. I, and, I had this a really similar, I mean, not in that regard, because you see it yeah. way after I did, but I was working with inner city kids, kids that were like 12 yeah. to 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And you could tell the kids that had not been exposed to reading or a large mm -hmm. vocabulary, because mm -hmm. they couldn't differentiate between their different emotional states, they had way less of them. So they could go yeah. from jealousy to anger in a matter of moments yeah. because they didn't have like, well, I'm feeling frustrated. Well, I'm feeling these other things. So you have these yeah. minor gradations so people can watch your emotional state get angry. Right. Instead, they were like a bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty crazy how that, and I think that, that that fed into a lot of the violence that was there because, I mean, that's the only emotion there is. You know what I mean? I think with with lack of intelligence um, or, or um, lack of education, um, a lot of the, I mean, the base, the base core understanding is fear because that's what everybody understands. No matter how educated you are, uh, um, um, people know how to be scared. Right. And, and, and that's just how it is. You know, um, that's a base core feeling that people have. And I think that when there's a lack of education and when there's a lack of intelligence, that's what people base off of. And anger is the easiest way to induce fear. You know, I'm angry. You need to be scared because I'm angry. You know what I'm saying? And that's just uh, uh, um, like the base communication when it comes to that. Like when, when you have coming from an area where you're already doing crime, you're not smart enough. You're not, you're not intelligent enough to, you, you don't have the, the resources, which is what it is. I'm not saying that they're not smart enough. I'm just saying that they weren't provided the resources that they needed to learn how to process properly, you know? And I think, and I think that that was, that was like a big deal. But recently, uh, um, just two days ago, the city of St. Louis um, has motioned to shut down the workhouse. And uh, my mom I've been talking to her about it and she's been on the board for uh, been commenting and trying to keep up with everything. And they're finally shutting the workhouse down. It's been years and years and years uh, where everybody's been trying to push towards shutting the workhouse down. And finally it got passed two days ago uh, um, that they're shutting it down. So that's no longer going to be a thing. So does that mean we're, they'll be building new jails or they'll ship people off to all different types of uh, felony facilities where they can handle them? How does it work? I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, that's. But from your perspective, the idea of like, shut this down. Yeah. It doesn't really. So it was yeah. that bad. Yes. I mean, it was unreal. I watched people get 
severely hurt over nothing. I mean, it was just, I, I mean, it was traumatic. It was so traumatic. you and I know each other from jujitsu and jujitsu yeah. is this fascinating uh, scenario where you go live, but you have the full expectation that if the other person bests you, they get you in a chokehold and they mm -hmm. can squeeze the life out of you, that they don't, yeah. right? They, 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 yeah, when yeah. you tap, they give up. What is yeah. the experience like of getting into a fight where there's no tapping and nobody may step in? What, what, it, what is going through yeah. your head when you fight in that situation? Um, helplessness. Helplessness. It's, it's, um, when you get to that point, I mean, there was a couple of times where I had been jumped three, four, five guys. And it's just like, when you have five people coming at you, you're just, you're, you're helpless. You are helpless. There is nothing you can do. No one is going to save you. You don't know if you're going to survive through it. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how you're just, it's just adrenaline. That's all it is. And it's 100% fear. 100% fear. That's all you have. Make it through what you can now and hopefully you can survive. I mean, that's just what it is. There's no. <laughs> what happens to a person that visits that place in their, in their mind where they are helpless? When you come back and you're back yeah. in regular land, how do your mind readjust? Um, therapy. <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't think you can reach that point without having some type of PTSD or traumatic, uh, 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 uh response system. You know, like I have a traumatic response system, uh, from that experience. I spent quite a, quite a few months in that jail, uh, in that experience for a while. And I know that like me, I use jujitsu as a therapy so I can, okay, retrain myself into thinking I have a little bit more control here. I know how to move. I know how to act. I know how to be, I know how to maneuver to a safer situation. You know what I'm saying? Like if this were to ever happen again, and then also it teaches me that people aren't so bad either because when I tap, they let go. You see what I'm saying? Like I yeah. don't have to, I, and, and I've, I've regained from jujitsu uh, um, which is a, a, a newfound sense of trust with human, human, humans. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? And it's like, a funny, it's a funny yeah. place of being in trust because once you've learned even a little bit of skill, now all of a mm -hmm. sudden, most regular people, you don't have to, it's not, you don't have to worry about them. It's just that yeah. your comfort with them is different, but you choose to get in with people that are way better yeah. than you. And if they just yeah, decided yeah. that they didn't want to let you go, they wouldn't have to. And yet, I have no fear that any of the guys at yeah. BJJ Lifestyle Academy are ever going to let me go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's um, a specific dynamic to, and I don't know because I've never been in any other jiu-jitsu schools, but I know that Mike, uh, Coach, Coach Rethmeyer, he talks about how much pride he takes into having a healthy experience for the jiu-jitsu practitioner. And I think that that, what you're saying is – is probably specific to our school, to the to BJJ lifestyle, where you know for sure that you can trust everybody because it's a family. We all know each other. We all we all you know laugh and care about each other in an equal state. And it's um, you know uh, uh, there's you leave the ego at the door. And and I think that that because 
uh, um, um, Coach Rethmeyer takes so much importance into that, then it develops that environment. And uh, I can't say, like I said, I've never trained in any other jujitsu school, but I like to think that that's specific to our school because it's a family. You know what I'm saying? Like we're all we're all family in my eyes, you know, and I do trust everybody there, uh, um, you know, which might not be the case in anywhere else. You know what I'm saying? When you got out of the workhouse uh, or in the jail system, that first day that you're, you're released into the world, are you sitting there thinking, I'm going to go back as quick as I can to where I came from because I want to do that thing? Uh, or are you thinking something totally different? No, no, absolutely not. It changed my life. It changed my life. Um, when I, cause I went, I went to prison, uh, uh, and it, it was, I, I tell people that I'm comfortable with that. I talk to a lot, a lot like you, I tell people that it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because before I went, um, I did want to live that life. I did want to, I was okay with being homeless and on drugs and drinking and da 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 and, and, and even though I was fighting, you know, I had fought my way out of it, you know, out of the homeless life and things like that. I was still peddling with people that I shouldn't be around, you know what I mean? And that's what essentially ended me up in jail and in prison. And, and when all of that happened and I spent all of that time where all of those people that I thought were my friends, that I thought had my back, they weren't there. They, 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 they weren't, they didn't write me letters. They didn't put money on my books. They didn't care about me. They didn't, they didn't give a shit at all, you know, pardon my language, but they didn't care. And so that realization made me realize that maybe I should reprioritize myself and maybe I should take into consideration the life I actually want to live. So when I got out, um, it was, uh, it was, I hit the ground running. I was not going to be that person again. It changed my life. I think some, some people, um, you know, and when you're in there, people talk about it like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go right back out and do all the same things. And, you know, my old lady's got this waiting on me and blah, 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 blah. You know, like, well, I knew that I didn't want to be that because I didn't want to live my life, you know, like that. I just wanted to be a better person, you know? And, uh, and I, and I saw, I saw what, 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 what the outcome was of being, you know, that person. And I didn't want to be that person anymore. So when the day I left, it was like, what does it take? What's it going to take for me to be a good member of society? What's it going to take for me to, to let people know that, you know, I have my past, but I'm not that person anymore. Uh, um, um, what's it going to take for, you know, and I've worked towards that. There are people, Vance, there are people out there that have no idea that I've been, that I've done that. There, there are people out there that I have no idea. I wouldn't um, have known if you hadn't told me. Yeah, if, if we hadn't yeah. had that discussion driving you in the car, I would never have known. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, like, and I take pride in that because I carry myself in a good way. I carry myself to where, um, um, like, you don't have to know. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to, my past does not have to define me as who I am. You know what I mean? And, and I remember sitting down with, um, with Luke 
uh, when we were training one day. Luke we had trained. We've had on the yes. podcast. He's a nurse. Yes. He's, he was on, on yeah. around the coronavirus. Yeah, we have right. this past episode. Yeah. If people want to go back and listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, which is a great episode, <laughs> by the way. He was very informative, actually. Uh, I remember we were training and we sat down uh, along the wall and I looked over at him and I had only been training for a handful of months. And he asked me, he was like, Hey man, uh, you're doing really good. You know, somehow the topic came up of, of, um, your, he, he said something about my intensity, right. In training, my intensity in training. And I said, yeah, that comes from, uh, it comes from a life of trauma. I said, it, it comes from, uh, uh, it comes from jail. It comes from prison. You know, I'm trying to make myself a better person and that's why I'm here. And he looked over and he was just like, I could have never imagined that you would ever say that, you know, and that was rewarding to me because it was like, I, I finally, now I carry myself in a way that is good. Yeah. A you know what I'm saying? Like that has a career. Yes. And no idea. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's, and that's awesome because it's like, I, that showed me that I've done the work. I'm doing the work now that I'm not that person anymore. People do change. I'm not bound by my past. And not only am I not bound by my past, I've done all the steps that it takes for people to see me as a better person than I have been before. How is the system when you leave prison? Like how has, how has the world treated you? Um, difficult. It's been difficult. Uh, I have trouble getting apartments because there's background checks. Um, I have trouble getting jobs. Um, a lot of the places that say, you know, they hire felons, um, your felonies have to be seven years old, which is kind of a, it's kind of difficult. I mean, if you do two years in prison, you've got five years of time where you're out here trying to find a job. And these people that, you know, they give you a list when you, when you leave, they say, oh, these are all the places that hire felons. And you look at it and it's like, okay, Home Depot, CVS, Walgreens, these are all respectable places. And you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, let me go check this out. And then when you put in the applications, they're like, oh, you're, you're, you need to wait five years before you can come, come talk to us. And it's like, well, five years is I'm already going to have a job by then. You know what I mean? Like five years is a lot of time for me to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, uh, it's just a different navigation system. Um, they do provide resources for you. Um, they do provide, um, things for you to do, uh, to work around that. And it's just, you have to go out and get it. You know, you have to work just a little bit harder. I mean, like you came to my house and it was like, we were go, go, go working. You yeah. were teaching me stuff. We had a great time, but you and I were able to have the experience of doing jujitsu together, driving, mm -hmm. doing the podcast. If somebody was out there saying I'd be open to hiring a felon, but I don't even, I don't even know what question to ask to find out, are they over the part of tumult? Like, right. are they going to cause more problems for me? So if you were recommending to a business owner, Hey, you're mm -hmm. going to think about hiring a felon. This is what you should talk with that person about to find out what they're all about. What would you say? I suggest having lunch with them. I suggest having lunch with them. Spend a little more time because if you can sit down and you can eat a meal with that person, then you can find out their vibe. 
it's going to show. It's going to show. Eventually, over 20, 30 minutes, you're going to know if they're really over it by the way they carry themselves, by the way they talk. I mean, uh, how long is an interview? Some, some, some jobs, they interview and, and it's like, we're just going to read these questions. And if you say the right things, then we're going to hire you. It's like a five minute interview. You know, I mean, you're, you, you, you can't figure out what they're about, you know, go out to eat with them, go, go have lunch with them and talk to them uh, um, about their life, you know, and, uh, and, and if they're not willing to be open about it, then that's your first red flag. Yeah, you know I mean, I, mean? Like that, that, I think your meal thing is exactly right because we worked together yeah. and we were talking about the work and stuff. But then we sat down and had some Ring Brothers beef burgers, right? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, delicious. You, <laughs> big old grease. It was yeah. great. That the um, but there is something that happens when human beings eat together. It's, yeah. it's so primal. I think it's all the way mm. down to the primate level. Like when yeah. you sit down and eat with somebody, the way they answer a question, the way you ask, mm -hmm. the way you listen, mm. everything is different. So I think your advice is very good there. Yeah. I think uh, when you sit down and you eat with somebody, it changes, just like you said, it changes the dynamic of like who, you know, you're replenishing yourself. You're replenishing the nutrients that your body needs at the same time. And so it synchronizes it synchronizes that moment with each other and it's easier to tell where, where people are at. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I always, uh, it took me about eight years to figure this out, but I can figure out what my wife's mood is based on how fast she's eating, right? Like, is she oh, wow. anxiously eating? <laughs> is she eating really slowly and wants to talk? Is she trying to get to the dessert? Like, it's funny because when we get food around ourselves and I'm sure I do the same yeah. thing, there's some base nature that is revealed that I don't think you can hide even if you want to, yeah. no matter how many napkins yeah. <laughs> or like up straight you do. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. That's great. Yeah. I've never so, really noticed that. I've never really noticed that the speed of people eating. Well, That's you just it. That's did, something right? I need to check. Yeah. Yeah. I need to think about that. I'm going to start being more aware of that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So uh, as you look around at the world and you said something that I completely agree with, fear is something that all of us can experience. As I look around at it, I look at left side, right side, authoritarian, libertarian, all mm -hmm. of them are afraid of the other side and it causes right. them to like double down and triple down. If you're afraid of somebody and you've been afraid of people for a good reason, how do you approach people that you're afraid of? Maybe they have hurt you in the past or they look like somebody that's going to hurt you in the past. What should we know about getting over fear, particularly when like right now it feels like the stakes are real, you know, mess up yeah. and trust somebody you shouldn't. It's over. Yeah. Um, getting over fear. I think getting over fear, you have to deal with yourself. I think there's, a, there's a, there's an accountability with self that helps you get over fear of any other thing in your life. Knowing now carrying yourself with integrity gives you the confidence to overcome any fear 
that you could ever have with anyone else. Because people are going to judge. People are going to see things the way they want to see them, regardless of what the real deal is. Right. And the truth never lies and the truth will always come out. So if you carry yourself with integrity, no matter what decisions you make, you know, within yourself that you're okay. And that's how I overcome my fear with other people. And, and, and when, when people say, you know, there was an, there was an experience I had recently where somebody had said something to me, uh, that wasn't true. And they were and I was like, uh, okay. And it took me a couple of days to be like, man, is that really how they, is that really how they see me? Is that really how they think about me? Right. And, uh, and then after, after a couple of days, I was like, it doesn't even matter because I know who I am. And I know that I know that I carry myself with integrity and I do the best that I can do. And that's all that I can do. So, you know, like I said, there's going to be people that see whatever they want to see, no matter what. I could tell you something until I'm blue in the face and you're going to tell me that I'm purple in the face. I'm not going to be able to change your mind. You think I'm purple in the face, even though I'm blue in the face. But I know within myself that all I'm trying to do is the best that I can do. And that's all that matters. And if you carry yourself with integrity and trust within yourself, I think that that fear of others is uh, um, really breaks down to the fear of like acceptance of others and the fear of like what you think they may be thinking, which is out of your control. So there's no, there's nothing you can do about that. Nothing whatsoever. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't have the same life experience to compare it to. Um, but the, the thought that comes to mind is, I was pretty okay with myself from a relatively young age, but a big transcending moment for me was when I started realizing like, if I'm honest with my wife or my brother or my really close mm -hmm. friends about what I actually think, then if I don't try and control what their response is, I actually get a much better relationship out of it. Yeah. I tell them something that they may mm -hmm. judge me for, they may not like, they may think I'm totally nuts, but the closer I get to just saying what I actually think instead of hiding it or changing it in some yeah. way always nets me a better relationship. And the thing I'm taking away from what you're saying is it's basically the same thing with yourself. Be honest with yourself. And as long yeah. as you're honest with yourself, you're going you're, you're gonna to get over these things you're afraid of. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. When you're honest with yourself, you have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. And it's like, <clears throat> I, I, uh, my girlfriend I talked to, she, she makes fun of me because sometimes I have short-term memory loss, right? And uh, I've been hit in the head a lot, <laughs> you know? So uh, sometimes I have a little bit of short-term memory loss and she makes fun of me. She's like, you know, oh, you old man, you old fart. And I'll, and, I, and I'll look at her and I say this, I say, well, one good thing about not really having very good memory is the fact that I tell the truth. Cause you can't, you can't lie. You can't, you can't, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's always going to come back. That's always going to come back. No matter what, whether I remember it or not, you don't need to remember the truth because the truth remembers the truth and the truth is always is. So as long as I speak the truth, you don't, I don't need memory. 
I don't need memory. It's like, okay, this is my experience. This is what's going on. This is how I see it. And whether I remember it or not doesn't matter. You, you see what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah, yeah. When you carry yourself with integrity, that's exactly what it is. Is is you're you you're not trying to manipulate the situation. All you are is just being you, and you and you trust that within yourself, and that's enough. You know so this is an interesting thing because we always have our perceptions to handle, right? The world that uh -huh. we see it. And I had a chance to talk to the attorney general of the state of Missouri and the former sheriff of Mendocino County. And both of them said something that was somewhat along the same lines, which is we have the perception that there are a bunch of innocent people in jail or a bunch of people that didn't do things that were that bad. But when, when they take a look at who is there, who they've locked up, who they've put away, they say we're, we feel good about those decisions. You've mm -hmm. been inside of there. Do you think mm -hmm. the people that are locked up should be locked up? Or is there something else that somebody that's in the law enforcement side just doesn't really understand about what's going on inside? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> Everybody that is in jail says they're innocent. <laughs> everybody is going to say that because they don't want to be there, you know, but I know from experience, 99.9% .9 of the people that are in jail deserve to be there. You would put it there. I, yes. I wow. think that most, I think that most people that are in there deserve to be there, whether it's the case that they're in there for or not. I mean, like, so the people that are innocent for the case that they're in there for, probably have done other crimes and they're involved themselves some other way that ended themselves up there. So whether it's an injustice or not, you think about this and it's like, you know, um, me with, with the reason why I went away was more of a righteous cause, right? It's like, I went away because I, I was in a, in a, a in a situation where I was trying to save someone's life, right? And that person ended up pressing charges on me, and that's why I went away. But in the grand scheme of things, all the crime that I've committed, all the, the, the uh, um, stuff that I've done, I paid for that through that crime, whether it was a righteous crime or not. And I do believe in righteous crimes. So, so I think that like – if you're involving yourself in that life and you end up in jail on a case that you're not, you know, you're, 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 uh, 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 not guilty for, I mean, what other crimes did you get away with that, that, that you never got caught doing? You see what I'm saying? So like 99% of that. Yeah, I do. I do believe that 99% of the people that spend time in jail, I don't necessarily think that, the the length of time they're in there is right i think that that needs to be readjusted because um do you think people have are, forgotten what a year is really like that if you take a year yeah. from somebody's life that they are yeah yeah that's well, what I, mean, I see because when i see the court cases handed out i see somebody saying the difference between 15 years or 20 years uh, it's just five right but like yeah those no, are that's years. a lot that's time yeah, yeah. That's a lot of time. And, and you have it like this, you know, um, um, 
I don't want to divulge too much into this topic because it's a really touchy topic, but this is a point that a lot of people bring up when it comes to the time that you spend in jail. You know, you have drug dealers, right, that are spending life in jail. You know, nine out of 10 of those drug dealers are only dealing drugs so they can supply their own habit, right? They're not dealing drugs because they want to F people up. You know what I'm saying? They, they're dealing drugs because they have their own drug problem and they're trying to supply that and they're trying to support their own drug problem. Well, you have them spending life in jail and then you look over and you have a child pedophile that's only spending five years and they're only doing 10% of the five years. And it's like, what's wrong here? You have people that are ruining children's lives that are out in a couple of months. And then you have a drug dealer that's trying to supply his own habit that's in there for life. You know, and I think that some of that needs to be reevaluated. You know what I'm saying? I mean, both of them are crimes. They both deserve to be in jail, right? They both deserve to be in jail. But it's like, how much time are you really spending? How much time is this person really spending as opposed to this? Is it really fair? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's like, I don't think it's, I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's right. You know, the, the, were, were the cops fair to you? Did you feel like when you were when you were in the care of people that could determine whether to hurt you or not or put you in a safe place or not, did they use that responsibly? Um, not at the workhouse. Not not at the workhouse. But I think um, in prison itself, yes, I was treated fairly. Um, um, and when I was on my way to the workhouse, uh, you know, not, not as much. Um, the workhouse was horrible. There was crooked cops everywhere. And it was just a, it was a, um, a very, it was a terrible experience all around, you know? Um, but I'm, I'm, and I don't know, you know, that's like pretty much my only experience in jail. So I don't really know. I have like a couple days here, you know, in there here and there when I was younger. But uh, 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 I think for the most part, once you get past jail and once they're in prison, it, yes, you're treated right. But the jail systems are a little different. Like it's there's a lot of bias that is involved. There's a lot of um, a lot of uh, um, correction officers that like to flex they like to say, well, you're just a criminal, you piece of, sh you know what I mean? Blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like, look, I'm already feel like crap. You know what I'm saying? Like, I already feel like crap. I'm in jail, you know? So, um, I don't know. It's a touch and go situation, you know? Well, Lance, I mean, I am, uh, so fortunate to have you in my life because I think that you provide an aspect on on every on every part of my life you have an aspect that's completely different than mine and the perspectives are very helpful as I think all of us are trying to figure out do we make changes to the police or to the law enforcement is it mm. is it is it um, a racial problem is it a class problem and I'm just grateful that every time I stop to talk with you you're willing to be so honest and candid about what happened in your life. So thank you so much mm -hmm. for coming on. Yeah, 
Absolutely. It's a pleasure talking to you always. I love it when you send me text messages or you give me a ring and we talk just about whatever, man, see where you're at. You know what I mean? It's, 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 uh, um, it's, a, it's, it's wonderful for me as well that you've um, kind of entered my life in the way you have. You know, I'm, I'm definitely grateful uh, 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 to get to know you. Well, brother, if somebody wanted to do work with you, if they wanted to uh, hire you to do some landscaping, to do some wall building, to do some cutting yeah. down of trees, all that stuff, how could they do that? Um, I guess you can reach me on Facebook or I have an email. If you want to put it in the notes, uh, sure. I'll shoot you. I'll shoot you my email so we can get that. That's, that's a real good way f to get a hold of me. Uh, um, but yeah, through Facebook or through uh, email, that's the best way to get a hold of me. We'll make that happen. And just, just so everybody right. knows, my wife now goes out to our front lawn where we did the sodding and she touches the grass and she just smiles. <laughs> and so that's what Lance did for me. He that's did it awesome. So our front lawn is like one of those things that Annie loves. So Lance, man, that's it was awesome. great to see you. Yeah. Good seeing you. Good catching up with you. Okay, that's going to do it for my interview with Lance Corvette. Thank you so much to him for stopping by for a second time. I know I will have Lance on for many years into the future. You guys probably heard us talk about a place called BJJ Lifestyle Academy. That's where we've both done our jujitsu. Coach Rethmeyer doesn't pay me to do this. I haven't been able to go back because we're expecting a baby, but some people are back doing jujitsu practice. And if you've ever thought about it and you live in the St. Louis area, go check out BJJ Lifestyle Academy. Mike Rethmeyer is old school jujitsu artist and uh, you will not find a culture that is better than the one right there. And uh, don't forget, on Sunday night at 7.30, we have the, our, the As the Crow Flies book club, which we're talking about 1984 by George Orwell. So join us at 7.30 Central. If you'd like a link to that, you can either join the Articulate Ventures Network or send me a Twitter DM and we'll get you invited. Thanks so much, and we'll be back tomorrow with another interview.